the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. It's not often that you tune into a talk show, say Dr. Phil, for example, and you see a guest speaking on the show that just captivates you and changes the audience's mind by just speaking wisdom and truth. That happened recently on the Dr. Phil show. And it was Bob Woodson, who is the director of the Woodson Center and who has started a number of programs that are focused on optimism in communities that need optimism. You'll know what I mean when you start to listen to Bob Woodson. He's our guest next. Now it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Robert L. Woodson Sr. is founder and president of the Woodson Center, 1776 Unites, and Voices of Black Mothers United. He's an influential leader on issues of poverty alleviation and empowering disadvantaged communities to become agents of their own uplift. Agents of their own uplift. Woodson is a frequent advisor to local, state, and federal government officials, as well as a business and philanthropic organizations. I idolize this man. To me, he is a font of wisdom, experience, and storytelling that very few people can match. He's going to join us, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. It, it should it should brighten your day. In a, some ways, it should stick in your craw. In other ways, it'll just go, God, yes, yes. So stay tuned. Here's another secret. You want to know the biggest summer secret to a great looking, glowing summer complexion? It's a lot more than staying hydrated and using sun protection. It's having great skincare products delivered to your door from our good friends at Genucel. There's sun, humidity, dehydrated skin covered in dark spots and even puffier bags under the eyes. They're a problem for everyone, but thankfully Genucel has the perfect answers. Introducing Genucel's beautifully curated summer essentials package. This is a limited edition package, including Genucel's one of a kind ultra retinol super moisturizer that uses a powerful plant extract alternative to retinol. So there are no, no harsh side effects that you'd get with normal retinol and it's perfectly safe to use in the summer sun. Plus you'll get Genucel's classic skincare therapy for under eye bags and puffiness and concentrated vitamin C serum to nourish your skin for a visibly clear complexion with a glow that will last you all summer long. Go to Genucel.com slash Michelle, Michelle with one L, M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Go there right now. Get your Genucel summer essentials package. And just for the summer, Every subscription order includes a customized summer spa gift box absolutely free. Order now, and every summer package includes Genucel's immediate effects also free. And with its immediate effects, results are guaranteed in 12 hours or less or your money back. Nothing to lose. Don't wait. Go to Genucel.com slash Michelle. G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Michelle. Genucel.com slash Michelle. Bob Woodson, a national treasure a great civil rights activist with a pure heart 
and so much wisdom. I'm so excited for you to listen to him. He is next. Bob Woodson, it's so wonderful to have you back. Um, you, there was a piece in the Washington Examiner yesterday, and you were one of the authors of it. And it's entitled, Lawrence Jones Raised $52 at His Own Lynching. Why Don't You Know Who He Is? And this published actually on Father's Day, right before June 19th. Today, we're recording on the 20th. What was it about this story that you thought people should hear? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. But the, the whole race grievance industry really tries to project a false and incomplete history of black America. I think the evils of slavery, America's birth defect, is being used as a bludgeon against the fundamental values of the country. And in fact, they are exploiting black America uh, in the name of trying to destroy the country. And so we, since the message, since they were using the black experience as this uh, 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 instrument, we thought it was important to tell the more complete story. America, black America's history isn't defined by just slavery and discrimination. It's how did we respond to oppression? And we responded creatively by building institutions, by uh, keeping families together. And so the, the we believe that the, the black history is incomplete without talking about those who triumphed in the face of oppression. We've got more to learn from people who achieve against the odds than we do just reciting the failures of, of others. And Something Lawrence Jones is just a stellar, stellar example. It, it, it's a remarkable story. Uh, this was in the, what, the early 1900s, I believe, and 1918. Black man in Mississippi about to be lynched when his persecutors told him he had one last chance to speak for himself. His crime, teaching poor black children to read under a cedar tree. So how did he respond in that moment where he believed genuinely these would be his last words? Well, he just poured from his heart that he came there as an edu uh, a college educated black man to Mississippi with a dollar fifty in his pocket, determined to teach help low-income blacks in the South overcome, as he said, the slavery of ignorance. And so he planted seeds, but there were also whites who supported him, even when it was against the law in Mississippi to teach blacks to read. There were whites who stepped up and helped Lawrence Jones by contributing land and other monies to him. And so what Lawrence Jones really did is just say, this is where I came. I'm not trying to threaten anybody, but I'm trying to build. And, and the the, and the people were generally moved by his powerful statement, and they not only uh, released him, but passed the hat, the hat and collected uh, a donation. And Lars Jones, many of us would have retreated in fear and just left, but Lawrence Jones never became bitter uh, against those uh, predators. And Lawrence Jones used that experience to build one of the most effective of day schools that's still in existence today. A hundred thousands of young blacks all over this nation have come to this boarding school that is Christian-based, the mandatory work, mandatory chapel. They teach the heart, the head, and the hands. Uh, all of the bricks on the campus were built, actually uh, uh, created by the students. Today, mm -hmm. they make their own bricks. 
90% of the kids who graduate go on to college. We have one that started Harvard Medical School last year. Uh, but they're from the most, uh, the poorest, uh, the most deprived families in the country. They started there, and that continues to this day. And so this is an amazing story of recovery, of transformation, of redemption. And so we, we think that this is what our young people, black, white, and brown, need to be studying, not just those who suffered under slavery. There are a lot of people who suggest um, that we are covering up black history. We are not teaching slavery. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on a minute. That's not the reality that I live in. I learned about it in second grade. You know, I know my kids are, have learned about it. I don't think anyone is trying to cover it up. I think that what we would like is, you know, a balanced approach to how we teach black history. And, and you know, what, all of this that you said <laughs> brings up a very unfortunate memory of Joy Behar on The View saying that people like Tim Scott are from the pull yourself up by the bootstraps camp while overlooking systemic racism. And, and he bravely went on that show. It doesn't take much bravery, but he went into, <laughs> he went into the lion's den and said, that's a disgusting way to present this. You know, and they continue to say, you're the exception, you're the exception, you're the exception. And, you know, the rule is uh, systemic racism. What did you think about the way that it, what do you think about that argument in general that pull yourself up by the bootstraps is somehow this negative has a negative connotation? Well, it's interesting that the, in the name of righting the wrongs of the past, you have certain elite groups uh, who but, but like Joy Joy perpetuating this myth that somehow the disparities that we're, the negative disparities that we're witnessing out of wedlock, birth, and crime are somehow the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, uh, and therefore society is, is to be forever uh, uh, to blame. But sh And so what we do in our publications at the Woodson Center is we talk about how blacks achieved in the – we closed – we were closing the education gap between 1920 and 1940 – uh, because of 5,000 Rosenwald schools, uh, Booker T. schools, we closed it from three years to six months between 1920 and 1940. We had five high schools in our urban centers that had crumbling buildings, uh, used textbooks, and half the budget of white schools. And every one of those uh, schools out-tested every white school in the city. The question is, if we as blacks were able to achieve these feasts in the presence of the jury segregation, why have we not been able to do that? Those same high schools today, only 10% of the children are reading at, at grade level, and those same cities have been run by black politicians for the last 50 years. But for, to avoid having to answer these un inconvenient questions, what they do is deflect attention about a way to systemic racism. Anyone who believes in systemic racism embraces white supremacy. If you believe that white people can can uh, have some kind of remote control device that they point to a black-run school that causes black educators to miseducate their children, you need to be taken to a mental institution <laughs> if you really believe that foolishness. It, but it, these it, are the questions uh, that they don't want to have this kind of debate or this discussion. So they focus on some abstract notion of systemic racism. When you say they don't want to have this debate, why wouldn't they want to have this debate? Is it is it simply because they 
they're failing at their that they're at their jobs or is it because they don't care or is it because they want this this victimization to continue i i'm unclear on that well there are two groups of people uh there are those who are ill-intentioned and those who are ill-informed and i think is what we're trying to do at the woodson center is provide the kind of information we have our a uh, uh, curriculum that we developed from our essays that have been downloaded 95,000 downloads to educate people so that we can migrate people who are making these mistakes because of they lack information. But for those who have the information but who are ill-intentioned, they profit from the race grievance industry. you got to understand, all these young blacks with college education who are getting paid millions of dollars, three-figure incomes, to do, to do race grievance training for corporations, the government, and the university. They make a profit off of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crump, the, I call him the, the black America's undertaker. Every time a white cop kills a black man, he's right there with the family filing lawsuits. And they, when they make these great settlements, his life is enriched. Uh, and so, no, there is profit in, in grievance. Booker T. Washington said that many years ago. He said, with the Negro, there are those who profit off grievance. If the Negro loses his grievance, they lose their income. We are fighting against an industry that profits from keeping us separated and keeping uh, uh, blacks in a constant state of upheaval. There is profit in that. One of the reasons there is profit in it, I would assume, is because you've got people who are willing to jump on that bandwagon and just say, yes, I am a victim. Yes, I am oppressed. <laughs> Someone said to me yesterday, yes, I've got a thousand dollar phone in my hand, but I'm oppressed, you know, <laughs> and, and so there are willing partners in this, right? In order to make the money, someone's got to be willing to pay these people to, to keep this division going and, and, and they buy into it, if you will. So I know those are the people that you want to, whose minds you yeah. love to influence. What's your best argument to them? Well, first of all, uh, there's this myth that this is a majority of the black community. The Woodson Center has about 3,500 grassroots leaders that we've worked with in the 39 states, and they're of all racial groups. If you look at the data, 80% of the people who, uh, who black community are against defund the police. Mm. Almost 100% of the race grievance industry, 60% of blacks polled said that they don't believe racial discrimination is a principal bar barrier to their flourishing. But you would not believe that. So what we're doing at the Woodson Center is giving voice to that silent majority in mm. the black community that the left say they represent. But when you give low-income blacks the opportunity to speak for themselves, they have a different message. Uh, we've got groups of Voices of Black Mothers United. These are thousands of mothers who lost their children to violence. And they are working with the police. They are published a whole full-page ad supporting the police. So the challenge is that we're allowing a minority of, of people, uh, guilty white people. I, 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 Michelle, I'm going to be self-certified racial exorcists so I can... <laughs> I can tell white people, all guilty white people, you, you are exonerated from slavery and discrimination. Now let's address the real problems facing America. And that's the moral and spiritual freefall that is consuming children of all races and classes. 
Suicide is six times the, na the national average among teenagers in Silicon Valley. Uh, drug deaths are in, among Appalachian whites and homicide. These moms, we're trying to bring those mothers together in a consortium so we can address the real emptiness that is in the souls and hearts of our children that is causing them to devalue their life to the point where they're willing to take their own or take someone else's. But we can't do that if we're divided on the issue of race. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And we have been, and yet it seems to me there have been moments in time in my lifetime where it's been less divided. And right now I feel like maybe in my lifetime we're the most divided along racial lines. But you bring up a great point, and that is that there's a, a, a silent majority here. But where they really can use their voices it is in the ballot you know, in the ballot, at the ballot box. And what's been astonishing to me is take a city like Chicago. They get rid of Lori Lightfoot and they bring in someone almost more left than she is. I, I'm, I'm baffled by the voting patterns when people continue to vote for people who are, don't have their best interests or say they have their best interests at heart, but act in quite a different way. What is behind that? Do you think? Why can't, the voting patterns shift. Why don't they shift? Because for the past 50 years, black Americans, particularly low-income blacks, have lived in a banana republic. They have not been giving uh, 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 choices in these elections. If you look at the, the greatest uh, deterrent to voting is apathy. If you look in these low-income black neighborhoods like Washington and others, you will find in the mayor's elections and all that, less than 10% of black voters turn out in those elections, less than 10%. So there's huge voter apathy in these communities. And unfortunately, Republicans have been unwilling to be competitive. Uh, there was one Republican, Dick Reardon, in 1990, who became the first Republican governor of the state of uh, in 35 years. Why? Because Dick Reardon came into the low-income Hispanic neighborhood in East L.A., and he and his friends planted charitably and therefore profited politically, but you don't uh, plant and harvest in the same year. But he came in and met with the leaders of the community and built a, a state-of-the-art uh, resource center. And then he established trust among the people. And then when he ran for office, they voted for him. And when he ran the second time, he scored 60% of every demographic. Well, the question is, why didn't Republicans 
look at what Dick Reardon did and, 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 and take those lessons and try to make that the foundation of how they go after the votes in these inner cities. They didn't do that. Yeah. Well, they might want to start. <laughs> they might want to start. You recently appeared on Dr. Phil, and it was a, a great panel of people, and you really sort of dominated the conversation from the standpoint of sanity and grace and wisdom. I think we can say that very easily. What did you sense from the audience as you said many of the things that you're telling us right now, you spoke to that audience. What 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 kind of feedback did you sense in the room? I was simply amazed at how open the people were to this message because I deliberately was not confrontational. I I didn't attack anybody. And I believe that I wasn't just presenting a Bob Woodson argument. I was presenting experience. I think experience will always trump an argument. And a witness is more powerful than an advocate. Mm. So what I talked about is I presented witnesses to the, to the principles that I was playing out. And I did it in a way, as Dr. King said, in, in the spirit of agape love, where we don't seek to destroy those who who oppose us, but we seek to transform and change their heart. And that was my goal. And when I was talking and I saw some of my opponents shaking their head, I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Michelle, we had 5,000 uh, reviews, 5,000, uh, pe- 5 million people all over the country uh, gave me a thumbs up on it. That says to me that there really is a thirst in the country to reward virtue and and, and celebrate the values of the, of the founding values of it. The, there's a thirst for it. Yeah. What I'm trying to suggest is that we need to invest in those agents of transformation and redemption in these communities. The way we invest in these political campaigns, if a fraction of the money were spent supporting institutions like like Voices of Black Mothers, like the Alliance of Concernment. I can name organizations by organization in these communities promoting redemption and, and, and transformation. But what they need is, is, is financial support. And so I would like, so what I'm trying to do is recruit a lot of pharaohs in this country who want to see this country prosper. But they understand, I don't think it's going to be done through the ballot box. That may be one way. But the other way is to create a moral brush fire by supporting thousands of organizations that stand up who who responded to the Dr. Phil message. Uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not the only one that has that kind of message. I just I am one messenger. But there are many that we need to give voice to and recognitions to them. And and we definitely try to do that here. And, and some of these organizations that you've mentioned, I'm going to reach out to and continue. I, we're just a little little podcast here, but we we have a following. <laughs> and and I, I believe in you know you drop that little pebble in the lake, and the ripples can go a long way. So I I, I I'm happy to do that. Some of the things that you said during the Dr. Phil um, appearance, I want to I want to mention. You talk about the history of how 
blacks achieved in the face of oppression. And we, and you mentioned that earlier on with, with Lawrence Jones. Um, it's, it's so much about today, CRT and whatever we're teaching about black history. It's so much about the oppression itself and the evil of it. And this was hundreds of years ago when most whites in America today were were not alive. We're not doing this. Is there racism still? Absolutely there is. Is there oppression? Yes, there is. But the best stories, the most hopeful, the most inspiring are of those who achieved in the face of that. And that goes to any oppressed group throughout history. And there have been many. So um, how can we say to educators in an effective way, can you teach both sides of this, please? Well, that's the point. And people keep talking about the exception. Well, that's how our market economy operates. Only 3% of the people in our market economy are entrepreneurs but they generate all uh, 70% of the jobs because creativity exists in a small group of people and what they, what they create has implications for changing the way we live. Yes. Well, we believe in the social economy, a small number of people exemplify a much larger uh, impact of, of whatnot. We have in one of the people, uh, Robert Smalls, who, who was born a slave and stole uh, the uh, commandeered the, the ship in, 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 in South Carolina Harbor and then turned it over to the Union Navy. And he was celebrated. He became wealthy after the war was over, went back and purchased a plantation on which he was a slave and took in the destitute wife and children of the slave master in an act of what I call radical grace. Mm-hmm. And and he and she was delusional and didn't realize that slavery ended. He permitted her to continue to sleep in the master bedroom. Oh, my goodness. Now, if a rather small could practice radical forgiveness, then what, how can somebody with a black with a PhD from Harvard be angrier than rather small? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is uh, that's. I am I'm going to grasp for names and dates here but the the shooting in the church in South Carolina where I believe it was nine black parishioners were killed by a white man um and he, he was later arraigned and relatives of the deceased were in the courtroom and looked at him and said I forgive you and I remember watching that and I said to myself Okay, if they can do that, what am I ever going to complain about? What is there, you know, why can't we all have even just a fraction of that grace? So what stands between us and having that grace, do you think? Well, I think there are people like some of the the mothers, the, the voices of black mothers united. Some of them actually minister to the young men in prison who killed their children. Oh, my gosh. That's right. And what they tell you is the the reason that they do that because fit, forgiveness does more to heal them yes, yes. Than, than anything. People don't understand. It sounds almost trite. The power of forgiveness mm-hmm. when you can let go. And and but there are people in our community who have demonstrated by their actions uh, the way to accomplish that. This is something that we at the Woodson Center teach. It's fundamental, but we have a small group 
of what uh, Delano Squires, my young scholarly friend, says of, of guilty white seeking absolutions from crimes they never committed mm. and entitled rich blacks who are seeking absolutions from injustice they never suffered. <laughs> These are the two groups that are driving this this race narrative and are profiting from it. Their book sales, uh, we pay uh, we pay fifty thousand dollars for white folks to come have some black person tell you how racist you are. Yeah, but also I believe that white guilt is the uh, the other side of that coin is 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 narcissism. The somehow accept the fact that you got the power to change someone else, but it's also disheartening and disabling to a lot of blacks to tell them that they are exempt from any personal responsibility because of past events. Nothing is more lethal than giving people a good excuse to fail. To tell them the reason that you're failing is because white people aren't, aren't guilty enough. All right, well, let's teach white people to be less guilty. Okay, well, then tell me how that translates in improving conditions for blacks, right. like reparations. How would paying somebody uh, for, for uh, past do anything? We must always relate whatever someone proposes to solutions. Ask them, how, how would this address the most critical problems facing your people? How would reparations address that problem? Right. Well, they would say, well, I'll, I, I, give me a check and I'll go cash the check and I'll be, at least I'll have some money. I, 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 but, but that doesn't do anything for the soul or the mind. And you talk about the mind in a way that people are, are giving up the power over their own minds to this idea that, well, I, I certainly don't have control because I'm being controlled. And, and that's, you can think that. And it, when you do think that, it becomes true, but you can also not think that and, and reclaim, as you said, the power over yourself. And it, that's just so, so much more of an independent, um, I, I keep using the word power, but a powerful place to be in life, to know that you have the control. It really does. Uh, we, we also are writing about, um, some heroic acts of people coming together. One fascinating story that we came about, uh, about in Toledo, Ohio, during slavery, there was a vast underground railroad network. It was uh, comprised of 1,200 white farmers, two Native American Indian tribes, and the whole organization was organized and controlled by three black barbers who cut the hair of those who were who were hunting down uh, slaves, and then telling, revealing to the group where they were going. They were responsible for the freeing 50,000 slaves over the course of the year. These are whites, black, Native Americans coming together. Yes. Uh, and now, and, and so we think these kind of stories need to be celebrated. Yeah. There was one city, uh, Michelle, Covert, Michigan, that never Jim Crow never nested there. It was fully integrated, all the schools, workplace, government, covert Michigan. Never, and interracial couples came from all over the country to live there and live in peace. Mm -hmm. And they did so. So we need to study how did this city 
uh, or this town avoid uh, accepting segregation. Yeah. So there's so many stories of, of redemption, uh, of, of renewal, that we need to be teaching ourselves. We are a complex nation, but we are a good country with, with affirmative values and principles that need to be defended. But we're not going to defend it by writing papers or just whining and complaining about what the other side do. We must hold up examples of American virtues and action, provide the kind of financial support that validates what they're doing. That's how we're going to make a difference. I um, I always love talking to you, and I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I really could. I, I, I you, you talked about experience being sort of the ultimate that trumps everything, and you've had so much, and you've cultivated a wisdom that um, some could only hope to have. And I, I'm grateful as always to have you on this podcast. And uh, thank you so much, Mr. Woodson. Really. Well, I'm blessed that you had me on. Thank you. As always, folks, this is the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Be brave and do good and check out the Woodson Center. I mean, there, there's just so much going on there that is positive and should be um, distributed throughout every community in this country. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.